Hello and welcome to Grace Life Stellenbosch. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. I mean, I've been just meditating on what we're busy with calling uh, prayer, um, presence and power. Prayer, presence and power. I don't know about you, but my prayers have really intensified. And even in the pre-service meeting this morning, I said, hey guys, we have X minutes to prayer, to pray. And then uh, awesome things happened. Not because we put a time on it, because we prayed, prayed intensely, like with, with an intensity. And we were listening. Amen. The word says that the fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. Now, I don't know about you, who needs to avail much? Who wants to avail much? We want to avail much in this life. I mean, we want to avail much for the kingdom. We want to move things forward in Jesus' name. And one of the things I've been meditating on, and I'm going to share the question in my heart with you, is are we diluting the power of God? Ask yourself that. Are we diluting the power of God? Now, if you want to make it personal, you can ask, am I? Am I diluting the power of God? That's the way I ask it. But you know, as a pastor, when you write things down, you need to make it a bit more soft. Amen? You need to make it a bit more applicable to all of us, which it is, by the way. So last week we shared what I believe was a powerful word just on uh, getting going, moving with the message, moving in power, because there's a world desperately needing that. But if we look at the verse on the screen, it says, Yahweh replied, my presence and my power will be with you. Pierre uh, sent me a message in the week and he said he was reading the Old Testament where it is the power and the presence of God that brings peace. And it's so important that we have peace. Amen? That we operate in peace, but that comes from the presence of God. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give. Not as the world do I give. Now, 2 Kings 13 and verse 20 is a very, very interesting part. Where it says, Elisha died. Okay, that's the first part of the verse. <laughs> and they buried him. So he was Elisha. He was an Old Testament prophet. So Elisha died. They buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invited the land and came um, coming in of the year. So what happens there is the Moabites came to the Israelites. And they would have bands. And that's not like bands that we have. It's like uh, people who would come in and destroy the land. They would destroy the harvest. They would destroy. The Israelites worked very hard. They planted, they plowed, they watered. And then uh, just as the, the fruit or the, the harvest of the land was ready, then the Moabites would come in and they would just destroy it. Basically cutting off the life source of the Israelites, but which was their food. But now Elijah is dead. And it came to pass. Where's Elijah? He's dead and buried. Okay? So that's the picture. And now it came to pass that they were burying a man, not Elijah, someone else, that behold, they spied a band of men. So these Israelites were on their way to bury someone, someone who died. And they saw a band of men. They saw one of these groups of terrorists, if you will. So they were afraid. So behold, and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. So there was a grave, so they just put him in the grave because they wanted to go into hiding. So they put him in there. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, the dead man, touching the dead bones of dead Elijah, he revived and stood up on his feet. So if a dead man touches the dead bones of a dead prophet, 
And there's enough power in there for someone to be raised from the dead. I'm asking you again, are you diluting the power of God? We were in 2 Kings, by the way. Hebrews 11 says, They without us did not receive the perfection. Okay, so it's not a condemning word. I don't know about you, I'm excited. Because the word says that, um, even, what's it, Jeremiah 29:11. I know the plans I have for you. Plans of peace, not to harm you, not to hurt you, and to give you an expected end. Amen. Elisha had an expected end. Amen. There was a birth at his end. He was dead, and he was buried, but he was still having an impact. I don't know about you, but this challenges me. This was like, whoa, okay. I've read the Bible through, but I, I don't know if I forgot this, missed this. or. But are we diluting the power of God? If the power of God is that powerful. So, in the New Testament, what does the power of God look like? So, what I want to speak about is how do we package the power? And I have this idea about logistics. Anyone here working in logistics? There's someone there in logistics. John and Kids Church also working in logistics. So, logistics is all about taking something... Packaging it and moving it. So taking something from where it is or where it's manufactured to where it's needed. Isn't that true? But it needs to be packaged. So I'm asking you, how are we packaging the power of God? How are we packaging the power of God? Now you can say me, like or you or us. God is in us. Amen? So that's one way. So God put Him in us so that He could get into all the world. You know, Jesus wasn't a global traveler. The guy who started YWAM wrote in his book, he said, at the present state, whenever that was written, he has visited every known country in the world. None about you, I visited about six probably, maybe ten if I count. How many countries did Jesus visit? Well, technically two if you count Samaria. But he never went overseas. Amen? He went on the seas. <laughs> He walked on the water. He didn't go over the seas. Amen. But what happens is now, the question is, how far has Jesus gone? Well, how far has Christians gone? Because there's now Christ in us. He's repackaged himself so that he can go into all the world. But we need to go and take him. But now the problem is, now we are full of God, and we arrive in a town in northern Zimbabwe. How do we get God out? Think of logistics. Think about packaging the power of God and taking it to some people who have never tasted and seen. So how do we take it out? We preach the good news. Amen. Romans 1 and verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. So Paul has got one purpose and one message. And I was thinking about it, the verse we read, if you were here before worship, it says that the believers were in one mind and one purpose. One, one mind and one purpose. What is that for us? And I was praying about it in worship and I was thinking, it is really what God promised to Abraham. You will be blessed to be a blessing. You will have the Spirit so that you can give the Spirit. You will receive the message so that you can retell the message. You will receive the power so that you can share the power. That's really what Christianity is all about. Now, Paul here is called to be what? An apostle. Do you know that there wasn't apostles before Jesus? It's something new. There were priests, there were Levites, there was a high priest, there was prophets, there were judges, there were kings, but they weren't apostles. Why not? 
there wasn't anything to do for an apostle. Because the gospel was not yet manifested, so they could not take something with them. They could not be sent out. The word apostle means really to be a special sent out messenger of the good news. The first apostle was Jesus. There's, there's scripture that backs that. Why? Because he brought from heaven what he heard the Father say. So he brought good news from heaven and he brought it to earth. Now all the apostles were first disciples. Okay, that's very important. If we want to do great things for God, I want to ask you, are you a disciple of the gospel? Now I'm not just asking you, are you being discipled? Because I've realized that, that what we call discipleship and what you may be here, we, we say, might not always be the same thing. Why did Jesus say, go out into all the world and teach them everything I've taught you? That's a disciple. Okay? Are we teaching and reteaching the things of God? Are we reteaching not just the things of God, but the gospel? Are we equipping each other in the gospel? Are we equipping each other in the good news? Because Paul is separated unto the gospel, nothing else, not the Bible. This is about where it gets uncomfortable. Okay, let's just let's say it. <laughs> let's call out the elephant in the room. Verse 2 says, Which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What did he promise? The gospel. Where did he promise it? In the Scriptures, the Old Testament even. So Paul's commission is to preach the good news. Yet it is not entirely new, but the fulfillment of the hope promised to us through his prophets in the sacred Scriptures. Paul is preaching a message, but it's not a new message. It's just now fulfilled. It's now news. It was promised, now it's fulfilled. So now it's testimony. Now it's news. Now he's giving testimony to this. Now this includes the types, the shadows, the prophecies of the entire Old Testament. Amen? Paul quotes from the Hebrew Scriptures, the Tanakh, more than 80 times in the book of Romans. A lot of grace people say, no, do away with the Old Testament. If you say do away the Old Testament, you don't understand the Old Testament. Because the New Testament is, cannot stand by itself. Because Jesus didn't come to stand by himself. Like we see here, Jesus came so that he could fulfill what was promised. So the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, even the Torah, even just the book of Genesis, is so full of the promise of God. God doesn't make many promises. Sorry. God makes a promise. The promise to the fathers. He makes it a few times because every generation he rehearses what he's promised. That's why he's the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But it's the same promise. And it's not Isaac to Abraham because why would, what, what would he promise Isaac? If God promised Abraham Isaac, what did God promise to Isaac? The Messiah. The Messiah. And how do we know that? We need to read Romans 4. We need to read Galatians 3 and 4. And then we see now we are the seed of Abraham. We are the seed of Christ. Amen. So it's all, it's all together. Verse 3 says concerning his son. So what did he promise in the Old Testament? By the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The things concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord. Which was made or born of the seed of David according to the flesh. And declared to be the son of God with Power. Amen? He's been declared to be the Son of God with power. We said it a while ago from 2 Corinthians that the, word, the kingdom is not in word only, but in word and power. I saw something this morning in prayer where I saw these, um, 
organ pipes, oil paper. Okay, and I've just felt God say, like, you need to be in unison around the message. Because if one pipe is out of tune, then the whole thing is not good. Amen? And the second thing I felt the Holy Spirit invites us is, let's become bigger pipes. Like, almost move in. And what is that? That is just maturity. Like, laying down more of ourselves and growing up. You know, eldership really is maturity. Eldership is, is laying down more of yourself. Eldership is becoming from not just receiving... But now sharing what you've received. Amen? I mean, sometimes I just sit and look at Jordan, and Bradley even, who's almost one and almost three, and I cannot for the life of me think that I was, like, that small. Like, you can't, like, you can't fathom it. Why? Because you're so far removed from being a baby. Now, I want to ask you, is that true for your Christian maturity? That you cannot even imagine what it must be like to only live on milk. But if I give you milk only, then you wonder, you're, going to be, you're going to leave hungry. Amen? Because we need some meat. We need to dig into the Word. And, and, and like I was a baby, now I'm raising a baby. So one day, why? Jordan and Bradley will raise babies. And raise them in the ways of the Lord. Amen? If you're not growing up yet, or you're not grown up, that's fine. As long as you're growing. As long as you're maturing. Amen? But you're here this morning, so it's good. It's a good start. And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Declared, there is also marked. Amen? So we've been marked by the Spirit. We've been declared with Jesus Christ. We are one with Him. So how was Jesus marked? How was Jesus marked to be the Son of God? It's very interesting. It says through the resurrection. Not through the virgin birth. So what makes us then sons and daughters of God? The power of the resurrection. Not being born of the seed of Abraham, being born of the seed of our mothers and fathers. Seed of our fathers, you know. But being born again. Being born from above. What that means is now Romans 8 builds on, obviously, from here, from Romans 1. And Romans 8 and verse 11 says, The same power, the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead now lives where? In you. Amen? So how are we declared the sons of God? How are we operating? How do we manifest? How are we marked as the sons of God? Is when we operate in the power of the resurrection. If we operate in the power of the Spirit of God, amen, declaring the things of God. The Amplified says, And as to His divine nature, according to the Spirit of holiness, was openly designated to be the Son of God with power, in that triumphant and miraculous way, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm asking us this morning, are we diluting the power of God? I'm asking you a second question. I'm asking us, are we living triumphantly and miraculously? Again, I'm hoping just to stir you up and waken you to say, Hey, there's more. Hey, what is the reality of Christianity? The reality of Christianity is not to walk around as a victim. No, the reality of Christianity is to say, Hey, it's not me, but it's Him in me. Hey, it's not I, but it's, it's the I am. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. 
It's the resurrection in me. Amen. It is the resurrection power in me that now wants to come out of me. You see, raising children really teaches you a lot. And one of the big things that it teaches you is to be selfless. And just if you think you can't be more selfless, then they're going to claim a little bit more of you. Annalise says yes, she knows exactly. God is yes, girl. <laughs> I cannot for the life of me think that I was so self-centered. But I was. Of course I was. The other morning, we were all trying to, to just get another hour of sleep, and Bradley would just not have it. And the more we try and, and, and calm him down and quiet him down, and we keep, I mean, people ask me, is it, is it how much... How much more effort is it to have two boys instead of one? I said, well, there's a thing called synergy. You know what synergy means? One plus one equals more than two. Okay? Why? Because now the one wakes, and the other one wakes, like they would, if they were alone. The problem is, now when the one wakes and cries, they wake the other one who would not have woken if they were alone. So now we're trying to keep Bradley just calm and down, and we give him milk, we pat him, he's warm, like, but he just would not keep... From screaming. And I was like, you selfish little baby. <laughs> and you know what? He's got all the right in the world to be selfish. For now. But if he does that when he's 15, we're going to have a problem. So we can be selfish, self-centered Christians, but we can't stay there. We need to grow up. The word says in Corinthians that we need to speak and discern from spirit to spirit. We need to discern the spiritual. So I'm asking you, like, what we share obviously brings in meat, because meat, I believe, is, is, is the spiritual side of things. When I say, let's lay down our lives, I'm not doing what the, the pastor in North Kenya did, where more than 200 people have recently starved themselves to death because of an end-time prophecy or it's not a prophecy it's a scandal it's 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 terrible most of them or many of them kids that's not walking and living triumphantly in a miraculous way as christians like paul says for me to live as opportunities for christ for me to live as opportunities for christ romans 1 and verse 5 says by whom we have received grace amen what have we received We've received grace. What have we received? Apostleship. You see, you cannot have apostleship without grace. Why? Because then you don't have a message. You don't have a good news message. You're, not, you're, not, you're going places, but you're not taking Jesus with you because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We have received grace for obedience to the faith where among all the nations. So this is for everyone. Amen? This is for everyone. The Amplified says, It is through Him that we have received grace, and our apostleship to promote obedience to the faith. Doesn't mean you should stop sinning. Yes, you should, but that's not the message here. We get there in Romans 6, but we're not there yet. To promote obedience to the faith and make disciples for His name's sake among the Gentiles. I love that translation. Verse 9, For God whom I serve with my spirit. How do we serve God? You can ask the dream team every Sunday morning when we're done set up and the sound is up and the lights are on and the coffee is warm and everything looks good. Then I say, okay, now our work starts. Why? Because we're not here to serve 
just in the natural. We're here to serve in the Spirit. We're here to serve the Spirit. We're here to serve the Gospel. We're here to preach and to have encounters and facilitate the power of God. Amen? I serve with my Spirit by preaching the Gospel of His Son. You know, if you ask something in a question, then it's less, it's less on me. So I'm going to ask you another question. How are you serving God? Are you serving God? Because the way that we serve God is by preaching the gospel of His Son. So I'm not asking you, are you confessing your sins? I'm not asking you, are you early for a Sunday? I'm not asking you, how's your, um, your prayer life? I'm just asking you, are you serving God in the Spirit by sharing the gospel of His Son? That without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Like we, we, We're digging into this prayer thing more and more because we see more and more that you cannot serve God without prayer. You can't, you can't give what you don't have. You need to, to come to the table and sit even in the presence of your enemies. But look into the eyes of Jesus. Let Him be served unto you. Amen? We need to serve. We need to make sure the food we eat spiritually contains the sacrifice. Contains the lamb. We cannot just make religious jargon and it doesn't have Jesus. I serve God with my spirit when I share the gospel of His Son. Not when I read the Bible. You can read the Bible and you can get the gospel and you can get the Son and you can share that. Amen? You need to. That's where you get it. But you can read the Bible and have nothing to do with Jesus then you're not serving God. I'm not saying it, it's just it's my gevolgtrekking. Amen? In my prayers, always pleading that somehow by God's will, I may now at last come to you. How does God serve, get served spiritually? By preaching the gospel of His Son. Verse 15. So for my part, I am ready and eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. You see, Paul says, I'm coming to you. I'm praying. I'm an apostle of the grace message. I'm an apostle of grace. I'm an apostle of grace. I am preaching. I'm serving God by preaching grace. And I was just meditating on it. And I think I mentioned it last week. I said, in 2006, Alicia said with me the gospel, the undiluted gospel. The thing is that God is never ever going to hold your sins against you again. That Jesus has paid for everything. That your sins are forgiven. That you are free to live righteously and have the Holy Spirit in you for free. Amen? So that you can stop sinning. Yes. <laughs> Amen? But you don't need to stop sinning before you come to God. You come to God and then you are changed. And then you're born again and you're born from above. And now your new nature says, Hey man, what is this that I'm doing? Because this is not according to who I am. This is not according to my new nature. And that's Colossians 3. It says, Hey, stop lying. Why? Because you're not a liar. But I'm lying. But you're not a liar. You're born from above. You're born of God. You're holy. You're separated. You're set apart. And you know what the Bible does? So irresponsibly, I will say, even the King James, it says those who are called saints. And then in italics they add, called to live like, or called to be. Yes, you are called to live like a saint. Not to become a saint. You are called to live like a saint because you are a saint. Called, separated unto the gospel. And we're going to get there now before you get upset with me. Romans 1 and verse 16. Paul says, I have one purpose, one message, one reason that I'm an apostle. Amen? 
Interesting that Paul is not going out and looking for the dead bones of Elisha. Just think what you can, what voodoo, say, sacrilege you can get up to there. Even though a dead man touched dead bones of a dead prophet and was raised again, Paul says, I'm not after that. Why? For it is the gospel of Christ, the power of God to salvation. For who? For everyone who believes. Through the Jew first, yes, because that's where Jesus was, but also for the Greek and unto the uttermost parts. Paul is on mission. And that is not to get stamps in his passport. That is to preach the gospel wherever he goes. Now, what I shared with you earlier, 2006, Alicia shares the gospel with me. And she invites me to a home in Pretoria East. And this guy called Marnus Nell. Some of you might know who he is. He gets up and he shares the undiluted gospel with me. Me and my friend were sitting there and was like, this guy is dangerous. This guy is of the devil. This guy is, is lost it, but you cannot stop listening. It is as if your spirit draws into that. It's as if the radio in your mind tuned into. And you know, you hear that crackle, you hear that crackle, and then all of a sudden you just get the station. And that's what happened. I was listening and reading and looking and trying to serve God and all the right things and wrong things and confessing and professing and whatever. But I wasn't serving God in the spirit. But this man served God in the spirit. How? By proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just grabbed onto that. And I knew that was what I was looking for. All along. You know what? I stopped searching. I stopped searching. For, for answers. I stopped searching for life. I stopped searching for more. Because I have found what I've been looking for. Amen. You know what also happened? I've never been the same since. Never. I try to be normal. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I'm sorry to all of you. I just cannot. I just cannot keep this to myself. Why? Because it is the power of God packaged in a person and it is released, it is opened, it is deposited. When? When He speaks the gospel. Not when he lays hands on me. Even that can add to the experience. Not when he prophesies over me. Even though I've been prophesied over many times. I can so clearly remember when I heard the gospel for the first time. Yes, I can bring to remembrance prophecies I've received. And things that have happened. And also miracles that I've seen. But you know what? I cannot wipe from my memory. It's the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. For who? For the priest? For the holy man? For the guru? For everyone who believes. Now, I wanted to just teach the Romans, but we'll be here till next year. So let's page over to Corinthians. Let me just qualify something that I said earlier. So 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2. Paul is writing to whom? He's writing to the church in Corinth. Okay? To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now here we have, it says, 
called. Now this here, if you have a good Bible, is in italics. Okay? So what does that mean? Sorry, band. It's added seemingly to make what? Grammatical sense. Okay, that you can read it in the front of your Bible. Italics are there to indicate which was added by the translators to make grammatical sense. Because you know what? Grammar is different in every language. Now I'm asking you, if you are called a saint, or if you're called to be a saint, did you add grammar? Or did you sneak in a little bit more? You, did, you, you, you changed the message. If you are called a saint, some of you are looking at your Bibles now and checking me out. You better check me out, amen? Because I'm saying your Bible might be wrong. That's what I'm saying, yes. Sanctified. Where? In Christ. By what? Believing. In what? The message of Christ. The good news of salvation. Then you are called saints. You are not called to be saints. You are called to live like saints because you are saints. Amen? This is massive. Because now we're trying to tell people they need to become something. You know what that is? Religion. That's thieves and robbers. Go read John 10. doesn't speak about the devil. With all who in every place call on the name of Jesus. <laughs> Which church? Which denomination? Which place? Which temple? Which location? You see, the right lady at the well said to Jesus, You guys, you Jews, you say we must worship there on the mountain, and we think we must worship here by the well. Not really that, but more or less. Like, and Jesus says what? They're both wrong. Because there will be a time where we worship what? In spirit and truth. Everyone in every place who calls on the name of the Lord, both theirs and ours. Subtle. Sacrilege. Stealing from the church. Telling us we need to become something we already are. 1 Corinthians 1.3 Grace be unto you and peace. Where from? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word for grace really is such a beautiful word. It's called charis. Charis. And it really depicts with it a sense of pleasure. A sense of joy. A sense of fulfillment of the human heart. It really has a strong emotional element to it. So God's grace includes favor and supernatural potency and is meant to leave us both charming and beautiful. All the ladies said, Amen. In classical Greek, it was meant to convey the attitude of favor shown by royalty. Isn't that amazing? So if we pick up Greek writings, it's got nothing to do with the Bible, and we see the word charis, if the king has charis on you, it is royal favor. Now we take up this message of royal favor and we take it into the world. Why? Because the king has favor on us. The king has favored us. The king has endured unto us his son. Now we are joint heirs. We are shining and sharing the royalty. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 4 says, I'm always thanking my God for you because he has given you such free and open access to his grace 
How? Through your union with Jesus the Messiah. We have free and open access to what? To grace. That was the passion. The New King James says, I thank my God always concerning you for what? For grace. The grace of God which is on you. How did we get it? It was given. Amen? It wasn't earned. It was given to you. Why? By whom? By Jesus. Why? Because He died in our part so that we can live. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin so that we I'm in. Who's in with me? <laughs> I'm in. Because I had lots of sin. Amen? I missed the mark. I was with un, with, without God. Amen? I was the one Jesus loved when Romans 5 says He died for those without God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for me, for Peter, because I was a sinner. Amen? But I'm no longer a sinner. I was a sinner. I got saved by grace. Now I'm a saint. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because that's where Jesus is and I'm in Him. Amen? It's not I who live, but Christ now lives in me. Amen? Amen? That's why I'm not normal. Amen? Amen. I tried to be. No, I stopped trying to be. It was boring. (laughs) This has changed me. What has changed me? Grace has changed me. The message has changed me. Why? Because when the message happens to birth and give and germinate life in your heart, it changes the source of life which you carry. It births something new. And now we are drinking from the well. And you know why I stopped searching? Because I was no longer thirsty. Because Jesus said, you will drink of this water and you will never thirst again. Have you found what you've been looking for? And I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm not talking about a building. I'm not really even talking about a message. Because that message only points to one person. Have you found the one the message shares us or tells us about or points us to? Have you found the waters of the well of life? Verse 6 says, For the reality of the truth of Christ. For the reality of the truth of Christ is seen where? 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 6. For the reality of the truth of Christ is seen among you. Not just in the Bible. Not just in the Bible. In you. In the church, in all of us, the testimony of Christ is no longer just a message. But when we receive that message, we become the manifestation of the promise. And now we are no longer just carrying words, but like Jesus, or, or, or in the end of Mark 16, it says, God did what? He confirmed the word with signs following. So now we are no longer just preaching a message. Now we are living the result 
of what we've been preaching. I still make mistakes. But I'm sinning a lot less after I heard the gospel than before. Why? Because I've realized that my new nature is holy. My new nature is godlike. If you're upset with that, that's why they were upset with Jesus. He said, I'm a son of God. With this message comes miraculous power because God is at work confirming the word, confirming the message with signs following. Verse 7 says, So now you aren't lacking any spiritual gift. Verse 7. You aren't lacking any spiritual gift. As you eagerly await the unveiling of the Lord. We're not lacking anything. Verse 8. We also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus. And I have your attention, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> you may be, is in italics, in the King James Bible. Again, check with me, like, it's not just me, I'm asking you. Is it just grammar? Or is it changing something of the sentence? Who also confirm you until the end. Until when? <clears throat> until you stop sinning. Until you stop going to church. No, until the end. Okay? That you blameless. He will confirm you, you who are blameless. When will he confirm you? In the end. No, until the end. So when is he going to stop confirming that you are blameless? Never. Not he's going to confirm and try and convince so that you will become blameless or remain blameless. No, he will confirm till the end that you are blameless. Amen. It's very different. Why? Because if you are in Christ and he is in you, you've got to be blameless. He who knew no sin became sin, so that you can be, could be made what? The righteousness of God. Where? In Christ Jesus. So you, do you think the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is blameless? Isn't it amazing? You know the word good news or gospel means that the news that's almost too good to believe. You can see that the translators of the King James Bible didn't believe in how good the good news was. Now, which Bible should you read? All of them. <laughs> well, that's a good answer, Richard. You've been to ministry school as well. Or you did. Because there's no perfect Bible. But there's a perfect spirit. <coughs> I mean, I was so blessed when I saw that. I was so blessed by just checking, where is the italics? You know, that's why 2 Corinthians 2.15 says that you need to study the word. You need to rightly divide the word. You can't just take the word as face value. 
until the end. Blameless. Even that is in italics. I just checked my notes. We also confirm you until the end. Blameless. Blameless. Where? In the day of our Lord. That is the day that so many people lie awake at night stressing what God is going to do if He puts up this big DVD of your life. Anyone's been there? I've been there. And you're like, oh, my mother said, I did this. No? It cannot be there. Because love keeps no record of wrong. Love covers a multitude of sins. And you will be blameless. Now people, come on. What is the news that we are sharing with the world? Because what I just shared with you is good news. Who do you think, who do you know that would not want to hear what you heard this morning? I can tell you who. The religious. The enemy. It's the power of God. So, so I'm asking you, are we diluting the power of God? Clearly, our King James Bible have diluted the power of God. Why? Because we're adding humanistic understanding to the gospel that is supernatural. Which actually, if you read on in Corinthians 1 and 2, it just speaks about immaturity. Because it's not spiritually discerned. So how can you be blameless if you still make mistakes? You've been imputed, but yeah, you need to know that it's a spiritual reality. And what part of you is going to live forever? Your spirit. Romans 6 says, like, should we continue in sin? He says, God forbid. Not because it's going to affect where you end. No, it's going to affect the ones you live with until the end. If you have sin, there's, no, there's consequences. But in the Spirit, in Christ, in God, you remain blameless. Because the true nature of what is a sinner is also revealed to us in Romans. Jesus was marked wasn't he? How was he marked? By the power of the resurrection. So now we say, sinner, hamartia, in Greek, is what? Missing the mark. I love where this is going. So what we thought of in our humanistic minds is we have a dartboard. Okay. And if you hit the cherry, that's Jesus. So no one really hits the cherry. Okay. But maybe the super dupers, they hit the green, the 25 points. Okay? And the rest of us, we're just trying to end up somewhere on that board, but where's the mark really? Is the mark the cherry? For those who don't know darts, that's the red dot right in the middle, called the bullseye. Okay? Is that the mark, or is it just getting on the board the mark, or is it what, what is good enough? Now you need to keep on trying to get closer to the mark. But I just shared with you that Jesus was marked. So Jesus is no longer missing the mark. What is the mark? It's the sign of resurrection, which is the power from on high, which is the Spirit. So what is a sinner? 
Christ died for the ungodly. Isn't that what the word says? In, I think it's Romans 3 or Romans 5. What does that mean? He died for those who had not yet received the power of the resurrection. The Spirit of God. The ungodly. What does un mean? Without, without what? Without God. We think ungodly, we think those who make mistakes every day for the rest of their life. No. The word is those without God. So who did God die for? Those without God. I don't know about you, but I was without God. And therefore I lived like I was without God. <laughs> but now I'm no longer without God. So I cannot be a sinner hamartia because I'm no longer missing the mark. I've received the God part. Amen? Because 1 Corinthians 1.14 says, My spirit is now one with His spirit. That's why we don't celebrate the cross. We celebrate the resurrection. But the resurrection only comes because of the cross. And why do we celebrate the resurrection? We celebrate the resurrection because it leads to the ascension. Now, that was Yemufart recently. We didn't celebrate that. I'm not saying it's wrong to celebrate it. I was just thinking about what is it the big things that we celebrate? We should actually have a massive party on Pentecost. Because the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, all leads to Pentecost. Because now we are blessed to go out in the world and be a blessing. How are we blessed? Receive that which we were missing. We are no longer without God. So you cannot be ungodly. Isn't that amazing? You see, but our religious thinking thinks missing the mark, we're going to performance. Christianity is much more about position and much less about performance. What do I mean with that? In Christ. In Christ. Christ in you. You in Christ. What did Jesus pray in John 17 before he dies on the cross? Oh, Lord, that they would just keep, stop sinning. Please, don't let them lie. Don't let them cheat. No. That they would realize how much you love them. Just as much as you've loved me. That they would know that we are one just as we are one. That they are one in us. And like he just goes into that prayer of why did I come? And if you're struggling with sin, like making mistakes, what I just shared today has the power to set you free. Because you're not trying to get something. Colossians 3 says, now you live as who you really are. Not without God in the truth. Find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca. And if you're ever in the Stellenbosch area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.ca.